Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. This show, The Bittersweet Life, is a lot of work. 20 hours a week or more. We forget with art, don't we? We forget that it's work, that it's hard work. So this year, don't forget to tip your podcaster. We're on Patreon, search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast, or donate through PayPal at thebittersweetlife.net. There are links in the show notes, so it's super easy. Don't forget to tip your podcaster. Now on with the show. Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. Today, I'm actually joined by the great author and friend, Jess Walter. Jess is the author of... Uh, My ninth book comes out this fall, so I guess I can start saying nine books. Uh, Most recently, uh, Beautiful Ruins and the Story Collection, We Live in Water. And if you listen to this little mini episode and you feel like you really need more Jess. He did appear on the show once before, many years ago actually, on an episode called Ruins, so you can look that up. So on Monday, Nancy Pearl, our book critic and favorite, a longtime friend of NPR, Nancy Pearl joined us to talk about armchair travel, in part because she doesn't actually enjoy traveling herself. She prefers to sit in a chair and travel the world at home. But you yourself actually with Beautiful Ruins and other books, have used travel as a way of expanding your own writing. So I thought we'd talk about that a little bit. Where would you like to start? What jumps to mind first when you think about the influence of travel on what you've written? I mean, there's no more expert on books than Nancy Pearl. So I think to sort of start with the launching point that Nancy takes, I mean, I can remember as a young reader, one of the reasons I wanted to become an author was this was how you saw the world. Um, the places you got to go, the places you created in your mind and to envision something and then actually get to see it is one of the great joys of travel later to have you know, read an, an author's version of a place and then get to go there. Uh, and even now there are places I wanna go. I read, I mean, most recently the, the beginning of Gabriel Garcia Marquez's amazing autobiography in which he starts the book in this plaza in Colombia where he and all the other young starving writers are sitting around drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, surrounded by the offices of journals and uh, newspapers. And they're all sitting down there writing, hoping to finish a piece to go get enough money to buy cigarettes. And all I want to do is go to Bogota and go to that plaza. I mean, it, it creates this appetite, this hunger in your mind for travel, great books do. And I think when I became an author, it was one of the things I wanted to try to do was create those kinds of places that people long to go. On a side note, people who listen to this show a lot know that Tiffany, in part, moved to Rome because of the movie A Room with a View. And then, of course, she was delightfully surprised to find that Rome lived up to the expectations of the dreaminess that she had in her head. Have you been somewhere where that has not been the case, where you had this dreamy notion of, I'm going to go here, it's going to be like this, and then when you get there, it's pale versus what you imagined? 
I remember one of the things that made me want to be a writer was reading about Ginsburg and Kerouac and Burroughs, the Beats meeting in New York on the steps of the Low Library at Columbia. And I remember the first time I went to New York going to the steps of the Low Library at Columbia University in Harlem and just, and I felt it. I felt this connection to it. And then I brought my son and it wasn't so much my disappointment as me trying to explain to him, you know, the hallowed ground that we were on. And I, I don't know that it translated uh, across generations, but um, often I think, you know, when we're reading books, we're also not, we're not reading only about a different place, but a different time. And there's that famous saying, the past is another country. They do things differently there. Um, and, you know, that can be the disappointment. I, I can remember reading about, reading a great book about Stanford and Southern California with Ken Kesey and, and then going to those places and they aren't the same. They've changed, you know, since the time that those books were written. And so I think sometimes it's the passage of time this, that you might feel in a certain place. When I wrote Beautiful Ruins, which is probably the book of mine in which that transference of place to the reader is the most important for me. It's set in the Cinque Terre in Italy. Uh, and it's what we talked about the last time I was on the show was, you know, writing about Italy and writing about the Cinque Terre. And just getting off the train in Monterosa al Mare, the first of the of the five villages of the five lands, at least from the north, uh, arriving and just stepping off the train and thinking, you've moved somewhere out of anywhere you've been, but also you've moved in time. And it's one of the reasons I set the novel in the 1960s was to try to capture this place as it was, maybe not as it is. And yet you invent your own town rather than try to create your story within an existing town. Is there a reason? Yeah, uh, it's funny. The My first impulse with that novel, I landed in the Cinque Terre and I came from a family that where I didn't travel much. I didn't go on an airplane until I was 20, I think, until I was an adult and had never been to Europe until I got to go You know, as a much older person. And so... One of the things I really wanted to do was show my mom this place. She was sick and would die. The year I went to uh, Italy in 1997 the first time, and she would die that year. And so my first impulse was to take my mom to this place, to show her this place. So in 1997, I started writing that book. And then as time passed, my memory of the actual Cinque Terre faded and my confidence in being able to actually recreate it. And so I invented my own town, Port of Vagonia, Port of Shame, in a way to sort of capture the feeling of that place, but also to allow my, allow my imagination to, to just run wild and create some new place. And the great thing for me is how many people read about my, my completely fabricated, unrealistic Italian town and then go to the Cinque Terre and tell me they experienced the exact same thing. So something about the fiction of fiction and the fiction of travel and the way they connect, I think, seems kind of lovely to me. Well, what does that mean, that people take that imagination, whatever scene they built in their head and they overlay it, or the scene that you built in their head that they also build in their head, and then they carry those memories with them as they roam around the actual place? Do you think? I, I do think that's part of it. I think being a former journalist and really looking for those 
hard, tight, sharp, descriptive moments. And so whether it's the feral cats slinking around the fishing boats in the afternoon as the boats sit like empty salad bowls tossed on the rocks, or whether it's the entire town living in the crease of the mountains like a herd of sleeping goats, I think there are these images that stick with you and you know, hopefully when people go to the real Cinque Terre, my description of uh, my imagined town carries enough of the real that there's that lovely moment, that slippery moment where the fictional becomes real, you know, where you believe it. And that's what you want as an an author is for people to believe the thing you invented can exist so they can create it in their own minds. Do you travel looking for places to write about? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, one time I write often, I would say every other book I write about my hometown, Spokane, Washington. And then I, the other books are me venturing out in the world. So I think I'm balancing those two very strong artistic impulses, going out in the world and then describing the place that I'm from. One of the keys has been to see the place that I'm from with the same eyes that I travel, uh, to not take things for granted, to to see the extraordinary, but also the mundane. And that's maybe the difference in the way a novelist travels is it's not just the Parthenon that makes me want to write a novel. It's also seeing two meth addicts pushing a giant television down the street. So it might not be what most tourists would look for, but I'm looking for those sharp, powerful, dramatic moments that make me want to write fiction. You know, sometimes it's a seedy hotel in Las Vegas. Sometimes it's a beautiful beach. You know, you just will never quite know what it is that will grab you and inspire you and make you want to keep writing. Um, But in all those cases, hopefully you create some world that the reader can visit and can lose themselves in. Do you think anyone has ever traveled to Spokane to try to discover Spokane? Or is it really the allure of Italy, uh, you know, or the allure of the kind of sweeping scope of beautiful ruins versus the the meth addicts dragging stuff up to the pawn shop? Do you feel like you drive people to Spokane? Yeah, and again, to be, when I'm in Seattle, I always have to say about Spokane that it isn't meth addicts. I mean, it's beautiful, (laughs) It's it's a gorgeous city. And even more to the point, if people in Seattle think that there isn't poverty here, then they're just fooling themselves. But um, no, I, in fact, I know book clubs that have taken Spokane trips uh, and they go to the Falls and they go to the Davenport Hotel and they go to a lot of the places that I depict in my fiction, which is really nice. Um, I got a really nice email from one book tour uh, that from all over the country they met in Spokane and and did a sort of had this map of Jess Walter locations and they asked me okay where is the donut shop from Citizen Vince you know and I had to say a lot of those places are invented but here are three great donut shops you know <laughs> um, yeah. so I do think I do think people are drawn you know to a place like Spokane or you know to William Kennedy's Albany or to the south of uh, Eudora Welty um, I think we are drawn to those fictional places and we want to go see them and they're not all beautiful you know sometimes they are places of sorrow or sadness or of um, you know great moral complexity but they are in the same way that Nancy Pearl talks about a way to travel without leaving the comfort of your home in the covers of a book. 
I'll have to work on my descriptions because after we did our New Year's resolution show, I heard from a lot of people saying 2020 is going to be the year I finally make it to Rome. No one was writing me and saying 2020 is the year I make it to Seattle, so I must not be describing it very well. Um, Okay, last question. The book you have coming out this fall, right, Uh, October of 2020, is set in Spokane, but it's a historic novel, so it's a different take on Spokane for you. Was that a different kind of travel in a way in your head? Oh, very much so. Um, The book ranges from Seattle to Montana in this period, 1909-1910. So it's very much a Northwest novel at the time of mining and timber and, um, you know, when when Seattle and Spokane were doubling in size every six six or seven years. I mean, people think Seattle's in a boom now. Um, It was growing at about four times the rate then that it's growing now. So it's really hard to imagine these boom towns. We think of a boom town in the West like Deadwood, you know, a few hundred souls. This is, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people doubling in size. It's really pretty remarkable. So, yeah, uh, I always wanted to write about the most interesting period of the city that I'm from. So it was very much like visiting another place. And it was, yeah, it was thrilling and and amazing to walk around and see how much of it still exists. There's a, a really powerful scene that that I draw from a real event that happened, the police chief of Spokane being shot to death in his home, sitting in the front uh, of his house. And it was stunning to drive to that address and see the house has not been updated since 1910, since 1911, since this happened, and to just see that history right in front of you. Um, yeah, it, it was like visiting another country, writing about my hometown 110 years earlier, and yet there's also the pull of the familiar, too, and the ghosts of, of that time in the world that you live in now. What's the title of that book for people who want to put it on their must-read list for 2020? Another resolution everybody had, read more books, including Tiffany. So what's the title? Uh, The title is The Cold Millions, and if you want to simplify your resolutions, you could just say to buy that one. I'd be totally happy with that. That It comes out in October, and yeah, it should, uh, hopefully people will like it. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Thank you. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review. And please tell all your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife@mail.com, Or you can just find us at the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net or on all the social medias, just search for The Bittersweet Life.